Welcome to The Witcher Lorecast, the show that explores the vast lore behind The Witcher games, show, and books. All right, Witchers, we're back. I was muted, but now I'm no longer muted. This is our Turkey Day special. We're going to be talking about basilisks today. I'm your host, Tom of Robots, and I'm here with Toasty. Toasty, why basilisks? Because there's not, there's not really a turkey monster. Like I said on last week's episode, or if you were at the live stream 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But there's some that are kind of like chickens, which is similar to a turkey. And yeah. basilisks are chicken-like. Right. I think chickens. any big any big dinosaur like or dragon like creature is really just a chicken. Right? I mean they're all this related. One specifically they have like the thing under their neck and a crest. So like is mm-hmm. this chicken? It's, it's a chicken. Even more chicken. Yeah. yeah very absolutely. Chicken-ish. All right. So uh so let's kick us off. What do we what do we have to start this basilisk chicken turkey adventure? Uh so as always, start with a bestiary entry from the games. Um, this one comes from The Witcher 1. Uh, simple people call the basilisk the king of the Zeracanian deserts and often mistake it for a cockatrice. They claim cockatrice? that the beast is filled with basilisk. such hatred towards all living things that even its breath is venomous and its glance turns the unwary to stone. This is the like fact- you, Toasty. Yeah. I mean, this is, like, this is the monster equivalent of Toasty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, no, honestly, fair. Deep seated hatred for everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that witchers <laughs> often encounter basilisks in dungeons and cellars contradicts the legend and suggests these creatures can reproduce under any conditions, like many of their nasty monster brethren. In fairy tales, the only certain way to kill a basilisk is by holding a mirror in front of its eyes to divert its deadly gaze. Witchers reply that it is far better. Far better to smash the mirror on the creature's head. <laughs> this doesn't actually work. Just freaking fight the thing and just attack it. Yeah, I would trust. I would trust the witchers more than just like the common like. Yeah, you know this. This is the magical reason for how to do things. Well, we know of like legends. You get, they get gossip. Things change. All these falsities spread and so i mean the witchers actually have to fight them so they probably know the best uh so basilisks are a species of draconid descending originally from Zeracania and bred in the north during the 13th century later becoming a pest in sometimes terrorizing communities they have bird-like beaks webbed wings razor sharp teeth hooked talons and crimson dewlaps crimson dewlaps that's yeah, a I good believe word. that's the little underneck thing. That's the little right? that's the little gobble gobble waddle waddle. Yeah. Right. It's a doolap. Yeah. Uh, their poisonous breath is deadly when touched and has often led to many exaggerated folk stories, such as basilisks being natural prey to the Martin and their breath turning those afflicted to stone. I worked with a guy named Martin. I did not realize that he was hunting basilisks. You never know. You never know. <clears throat> never know. So uh, we move on specifically to the details from uh, The Witcher 1. Right. And and just real quick to remind people, sometimes the way these things are represented in the books and then each of the games and even game from game changes a little bit. So this is kind of interesting to see, like, how it was represented in each game. So, okay. So Witcher mm-hmm. 1. 
so in The Witcher 1, a basilisk do not appear until Chapter 4. First encounter with them is usually on Blackturn Island, but possibly in the crypt in the fields. Their class is Ornithosaur. Uh, occurrence, they choose dark and damp places like caves and abandoned can canal branches as their dwellings. Uh, they are immune to most poisons and resistant to stun attempts, but are susceptible to silver and ornithosaur oil. Mm, I always keep that ornithosaur oil around. It goes really good when you're um, when you're cooking. Uh, it's less calories than olive oil. So, uh, a basilisk's most dangerous weapon is its venom, one of the strongest known toxins. Um, as far as al alchemy goes, uh, you can elute uh, venom glands and ornithosaur's eyes, uh, but also uh, basilisk hides. So it's got lots of good good parts on it. That makes sense. All right. So there's only a few locations across the game where you actually come across these. Mm -hmm. uh, so it can be found on Blackturn Island, uh, the Raven's Crypt, Caremorhan Valley, or and Caremorhan Valley in the Price of Neutrality module. Uh, as far as information sources go, uh, in Chapter 3, Geralt can talk with a townswoman sitting at the the new Nerecourt. She is blonde, wearing a green dress with a yellow shirt. She will tell him she is in the mood to spin a tail, but she is thirsty. That's why she's Depending at the new Nerecourt. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> Depending on her mood, she will ask for a mug of beer or milk. Hmm. Not water at nope. all. Nope. <laughs> beer or milk. Interesting. Uh, she will tell Geralt about basilisks or wyverns and eventually arch spores. Geralt must exit and then re-enter the inn or meditate after each tale to speak to her again. After Geralt has acquired all the entries she knows about, she will still ask for milk and beer, but will not give it any new tales or journal entries. So that's it. And the, basically go through all of her text. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then other information can be found in the book called titled Ornithosaurus. Yeah. So, okay. So other than this lady and the few little details from running into them in the game, there's, there's not a whole lot here. And then in the Witcher two, we don't even have them at all. Mm -mm. We don't have basilisks, basilisks show up. Common trend as far as that goes, you see a lot of these monsters pop up in Witcher one and then skip and then pop up in the Witcher three. I feel like the scope of the Witcher two was so much more focused on a very specific location. And then the political <clears throat> events that were happening. Yeah, it's a lot more political game. So like it's yeah. it, it's more people's, less, you know, humans and elves and dwarves and, and what's going on with all of them in these very specific locations and less of the whole monster hunting thing. The monsters show up, but are almost just tangential to the story. Uh, mm -hmm. But in The Witcher one, there's a lot of like, go hunt this monster, go do this quest. And in The Witcher three, it's a much more open game. So and you still get some of those quests. You, you go to a village and you see the signs and you go, okay, well, I'm going to go hunt this thing down or follow this quest line or whatever. Lots of side quests take you on these kinds of monster hunts. Yeah, I wasn't really like into the, the whole scene yet at this point between like the transition of two and three. I imagine that there was like, because of two and like a less, like less of that, less of the monsters. I, I imagine that there's probably like people talking about, Hey, like, you know, do the next game we'd like more we want more monsters mm -hmm. because you know that's what it's all about is the witcher uh, like we know it's very political and and like a social like 
book as well but a lot of like you know even with like people that listen to the show they're most most of them say the best eerie episodes are their favorites so yeah um yeah people want more monsters so yeah. i imagine that was kind of like a hey can we get more monsters and they're like all right i mean that's <laughs> got you. that's that's the inherent appeal of the witcher is witchers are these badass monster <laughs> hunters that can do things that regular people can't and understand monsters on a level that not everyone does so they take the mysterious and they make it less mysterious because they're able to fight against these things and, and 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 that reveals things like okay maybe these monsters aren't so terrible or maybe these monsters are worse than we thought there's always like that that loop that information loop and the personal like wanting to be somebody awesome it's it's the same thing like oh, i want to be a jedi or a sith or something like that right like i'm this badass character and we had star wars references in the last episode but i'm this unique kind of badass character in a very interesting world and the witcher is is almost the equivalent of that in some ways mm -hmm. so uh, makes sense so moving on uh we got a best area entry from witcher 3 uh which this first part sounds like something we put on our patreon shirts uh, <laughs> uh in memory of the noble knight roderick slain during a valiant struggle against a basilisk Let's hope the beast choked on his bones. <laughs> Gravestone inscription in Vitsima Cemetery. Oh man, maybe we should use, maybe we should just find some actual quotes for the next like year of shirts. It's coming up in a few months. We'll, we'll be launching the next year of shirts. Um, or, or just a mix of them. People will be like, well, which ones did we write? And which ones were, were from the actual content? You'll never know. Uh, so contrary to popular belief, basilisks cannot turn anything to stone with their gaze. That is small comfort, however, given that their acid, venom, claws, and teeth provide them many other ways to kill. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that because you're just going to be maimed by them and poisoned to death. The moment you're confused thinking whether you should look them in the eyes because you, they may or may not be able to turn you to stone, you've already been killed in one of four other ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your guts are now so, falling out of your chest. Good, good job. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Basilisks love dark, damp places such as cellars, caves, and city sewers. They hunt by day, waiting patiently and hiding for their prey to come, then jump out in a flash to unleash a deadly attack. So they're like when, they're like the uh, like the puma, like the cougar of like uh, reptoid monsters. Like they just kind of find a little hidey spot, kind of like a, a cat tracking its prey, and then wait for the right moment, and then just pounce. For some reason, my yeah, I didn't go. I didn't go the conventional route of like uh, cat-like predators, and my brain just went to like trapdoor spiders for some reason. Okay, yeah, same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when preparing to fight such a creature, one should drink a golden oriole, which will provide resistance to its venom, and also prepare prepare dancing star or shrapnel bombs, which work particularly well against basilisks. Basilisk leather is a highly valued material used to make fashionable shoes and women's handbags. Mm. For mm. this reason, many men, their courage girded by gold lust, take to hunting them. Most of these hunts end in disaster, but some do manage to bag their prey, which has led to a drastic decline in this creature's numbers in recent years. I mean, this mages is, this, hold on, jump, jump it in. This is like the story of like why large creatures in our own planet disappeared over the last few thousand years this is like this is totally it like like human beings decide oh you know it'd be really awesome is like 
tusks from a saber-toothed tiger and as dangerous as it is to hunt one they get together in a group and they hunt them and maybe some people don't make it but enough of them are successful that eventually the the, the, they don't exist anymore yeah you don't typically expect like monster poachers but that's essentially what this is yeah yeah Um, uh some mages and druids are of the opinion the basilisk should be included in programs meant to safeguard dying species. Oh, everyone hmm. else thinks those mages and druids have gone completely mad. Right. <laughs> We've got this murder monster that's on the loose and pounces on people <laughs> and kills them. It has no other beneficial qualities to society, but we should probably keep them around. Yeah, I mean, they're it, it an endangered sense. species. Right, like the balance of nature and all of that stuff, but the monsters themselves were invasive species, mm-hmm. but so were the humans. So, eh. Yeah. I don't know. So getting into the, the, the details, uh, it is considered a draconid. So we see, see that change from like class one change. to three. Yeah. Uh, they occur in Valin. Uh, they are susceptible to golden Oriole, Grape shot, draconid oil, and ard, uh, and their loot are basilisk venom, basilisk hide, and basilisk mutagen. Yeah, in The Witcher Three, you get <clears throat> mutagen as one of those things that didn't show up in the other ones. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, for combat tactics, uh, despite their appearance, basilisks are vulnerable to igni and other means of using fire against them, such as dancing star bombs. A well-timed bomb or burst of Igni can not only bring down a flying basilisk to ground level, but distract the beast from being able to properly defend itself. They are skilled at using their wings and the talons on their feet in a similar fashion to that of the cockatrice. When in combat with witchers, they have been observed parrying sword strikes with their wings and then leaping up into the air to land near near devastating overhead blows with their claws. That is absolutely terrifying. That like, yeah. can you imagine sword fighting a monster that parries your sword strokes, and then can take off Not into even the with air? Its claws with its wings. With its wings, it just like can defend itself with its wing. Like you're swinging a sword, and it's like ching, ching, and then it jumps up in the air and then f- dives down at you. Like if you if you are not a witcher who has the ability to just cast igni on the thing to distract it as it's diving on you or have something like a dancing star bomb. If you are just like, if you and I are like, well, well, the farmer's in the field, we're going to go hunt down that, that basilisk over there. Like we wouldn't be prepared with any of that stuff. We bring our pitchforks and our our shovels. Right. And then we'd like the thing would, you know, we wouldn't be able to hit it. It'd be parrying all our attempts to hit it and then fly up in the air and then just dive bomb one of us. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it can also leap up into the air, hover momentarily, and spit acid at their opponents from above. Or, or that. Yeah. Wonderful. But apparently there's some success here. Yeah, well, if, and a, you throw enough things up against the wall, eventually something sticks, right? Yeah. Or you get enough people all together to kind of corner the thing. Even though some of them get hurt or killed, you might still take it out. Yeah. It's just wild. Yeah, no, like, this is not something that, like, if I was just a commoner in a little village, like, this is something you absolutely, like, there's a reason why the witchers get paid well for what they do, 
and it's because it's crap like this, right? Like if you put your mindset in, in a, like well, the commoners are not necessarily trained with any weaponry. They don't have good weaponry. They don't have the tools to do this stuff. And they don't even have the foreknowledge or understanding of what the monster is going to do in order to counter it. Like this absolutely shows why witchers are important in this world. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I can get behind. Like if my buddy was like, Hey, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a new bag for, for my lady. <laughs> Right. You come come help me hunt this this basilisk i'd be like get out of my house what are you doing there's <laughs> a basilisk up in the hills i need to hunt it down so i can woo the lady at the pub yeah good luck good luck like, with you that your will did you put your will down already i should you should do that before you go right put me in your will and then you go do this by yourself thanks yeah <laughs> you dummy so all right so that's that's the combat tactics and stuff. Where, where are we going after the mid-break? So, as always, we're going to talk about the uh, real world mythological inspirations for the Basilisk. Sweet. I have a feeling we've got some stuff to dig into here. So, stay tuned for that. We're going to go thank our patrons. We will be right back. Very well. Let us get this over with. Something has infested my vineyard. Mm-hmm. Great. Let me go prepare my something oil then. All right, Witchers, this is the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons. And just a reminder, this episode was recorded way ahead of time. If you're currently here as part of the live stream, thank you for being here. But uh, if you're listening to this on the audio platforms, this was recorded a few weeks ago. So we don't have new call outs to do yet. You're going to have to wait till next week for that if you have signed up in the last few weeks. But thank you for doing so if you have. Big shout out to all 20 of our patrons and to our higher vampires, Ben of Tamaria and Jared M. Thank you so much for your support. Also, we don't have any new ratings or reviews to do because again, we can't see the future. So if you would like to help us out by leaving a rating and review, five star ratings and words will get read out on future podcasts from Apple Podcasts. and if even if you don't have an account there, you can still just log in if you have an account. If even if you don't, those are not the right words. Even if you don't listen to things on Apple Podcasts, you can still log in and leave us a review there. That helps a ton and it'll get your words on the show. Or if you're listening on Spotify, you can drop us a rating on there as well. All of that stuff would would be awesome. And yes, Flavor Flav, words are hard. All right. That's what we got for the middle of the show this week. Let's get into some of this real world lore stuff. Here we go. You smell of death and destiny, heroics and heartbreak. It's onion. Right, yeah. All right. Uh, I deserve one of these words is hard. Oh, my, my, my stream deck's not connecting right. Oh, here we go. I'll just click it like this. There we go. All right, words is hard. All right, Toasty, let's uh, let's talk about some real world mythology. Uh, so, the basilisk appeared in various forms throughout history. Uh, it started out off as a small crowned snake, being able to kill with its lethal poison and evil gaze. The poison was so lethal it left a wide trail of venom in its wake. Uh, so, kind of the first iterations of, I believe. Uh, from other stuff I saw was kind of basically was like a cobra or just essentially looked like a cobra um, and had like these kind of extra special little abilities to them. Mm-hmm. I believe this is like Greek origin. Like this is pre-Christian Greek stuff. 
Does that sound right to you? I already forgot, but I, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Basilisk show up. There's like conflicting in, things, but I think it oh, actually said that it's like an Egyptian. Oh, it's Egyptian. Okay, so think, like I think it's, it's that it's, Mediterranean world kind of thing. Yeah, okay. yeah kind of the okay. same uh, area. Uh, so d- despite its cruel nature, it still represents power and sometimes that of hell in Christian mythology. Thus, it became the guardian creature and the traditional symbol of the Swiss city, Basil? Basil. 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 I think it's Basil. Um, yeah, and it makes sense. The symbology for here for Christianity being a serpent and then the serpent in the Garden of Eden, all of that stuff connecting to hell and the devil and all of that. So that yeah. makes sense. Uh, Basilisk is believed to be the most poisonous creature ever lived. There are tales where the basilisk was killed by a spear from horseback, but the poison flowed upward and killed both the man and the ride. That's insane. <clears throat> yeah. Now we're getting to the wacky stuff. Uh, its presence is so tainting that not only herbs die of its terrible breath, but stones shatter as well. The basilisk. Wait, 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 wait. Herbs die. The terrible. The breath is so poisonous that it kills plants cool but it breaks rocks with its breath the breath is so potent that like if you breathe on the side of a hill all of a sudden the rocks crack wow all right this is so potent that it's like breaking down the rock right i would guess if you're trying to i mean this is mythology so looking at it as to try and see a logical viewpoint on it doesn't really there's, there's no point in that sure but like if you're trying to go i would imagine that's the idea but who knows yeah they're breaking down thing okay so this next sentence is awesome too uh, the basilisk venom is so strong that upon drinking from a well the water remains polluted for centuries centuries bringing death to anyone drinking it why is everybody dying from drinking the well water well it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that it's well water and there might be bacteria in it that has grown to a point where it's now dangerous for people. It's probably because a basilisk drank from it and it's now going yeah. to be poisoned for centuries. So we better just like block it up and dig a new yeah. well. This is definitely a very classic, like there's, we don't, we don't know the science behind this. So we have to go with some crazy. We don't understand I mean, fresh water. I can just imagine the people like in that kind of situation because wells, of course, you know, we don't have like the modern, like, cleaning systems and stuff for water that we use in you know wells today but just being like you know like oh people are drinking the water from the well and they're dying it's like but it must be that's a crazy is just that well's been around for centuries must have been a basilisk right that well was always good it was here from our, our grandparents and our great-grandparents something yeah, must something must have changed that <laughs> basilisk i saw i saw a snake the other day it was a basilisk yeah uh, the basilisk can only be a male for it must have the most proper receptacle of venom and destructive qualities so this is like the like the males are more dangerous like kind of perspective and so therefore it must be male which doesn't even make sense either because that, sometimes the females even the more dangerous of the genders and animals either that or they're trying to tell us in some roundabout fashion that the poison of a basilisk is held in its testicles yeah maybe maybe that also Which, makes me wonder that how sounds the, highly uncomfortable <laughs> yeah or how the poison comes out mm-hmm. yeah, all right yeah really uncomfortable yeah um it is also said to be so evil that when it cannot petrify animals it turns to plants withering them anywhere it goes <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh no, there's, there's not enough animals to left to turn to stone. Drat, I must now attack the plant life around me. Yep. Uh, the basilisk's magnificent power may stay with him after its death. When the monster is reduced to ashes, its ashes retain magical properties that were highly sought after by alchemists in the 13th century. One legend describes an alchemist using the monster's ashes to turn silver into gold, while other legends hint that the ashes are an important ingredient in the making of the philosopher's stone. Oh, okay. So now we're getting into the whole, like, how do we make gold from other materials? This is like pre-chemistry, like... It was we alchemy like this was like yeah. the belief of alchemy right yeah alchemy led to chemistry but it was before they understood how elements work or atoms or any of that stuff and so it was like well sometimes when we mix stuff together crazy stuff happens so maybe there's a way to make gold out of that let's use a basilisk's ashes <laughs> that's it yeah magic will work how do you determine if it's a basilisk ashes you know like Oh, because you the guy, the guy, it and you're like, man, this the, seems the snake oil salesman quote, like almost identically snake oil salesman comes to your door and is like, well, today I've got this bachelor's ashes in the claw of a, of a cockatrice. And you know, like, all right, I'll take that basilisk's ashes. We'll try those. Yeah, we'll see if that, we'll see how that works. Yeah. I bet that guy got, <laughs> I don't know. He probably didn't have very good customer service. He also got run out of town a lot. Probably probably uh as for appearance uh medieval travelers described it as a large fire-breathing creature with a terrifying roar it soon became described as a rooster with a serpent's tail and occasionally dragon wings so we got a connection to the visuals in the witcher now Mm -hmm. thus we have the the gobbly gobble whatever that's called the, the little dangly bits on the on the face not the other dangly bits where the poison might be um and then the serpent's tail dragon wings like this kind of we're starting to get what is a direct translation to what we see in the witcher mm-hmm. uh this shows similarities with the cockatrice but there's one difference the basilisk is said to be hatched from the egg of a rooster and is incubated by a toad while the birthing process of a cockatrice is vice versa, a toad's egg hatched by a rooster. So, okay. All right. Wait. Roosters don't lay eggs. Chickens do. How? Were people this dumb? I mean, I know, I know there's just a certain level of ignorance historically about the way things work. But in a world where everybody's a farmer and most of them have chickens or have seen chickens in their lives and understand the difference between the roosters and the chickens. What? (laughs) Toasty's just silent. He's like, I don't know, dude. I mean, I, I can make the argument that I've met some people in my life that are this dumb today. So true in a world without like proper science, yeah, maybe the Absolutely rooster. Where'd this egg come from? It's out of the nest with the other eggs because it rolled over <clears> there. Uh, it must have been the rooster. The rooster laid the egg this time. All right. Well, make sure it doesn't get incubated by a toad because we don't want any basilisks running around. No, no basilisks. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a wild man. Uh, another description of the basilisk is of a lizard with a rooster's head the tail of a serpent and eight chicken legs eight chicken legs so it's eight like a it's like a centipede chicken. now yeah uh based on this many modern depictions of a basilisk as a 
uh, as a large six or eight legged lizard armed with a petrifying case. Well, that sounds so. Terrifying. Of course, that one the the legs don't particularly line up um, in The Witcher, but like the other things do. I mean, it does have kind of a chicken head um, with like a blizzard ish body. So right, right. At least in the games, the the TV show ones are way more dragon looking. They're more yeah, very dragon. sneaky, very sneaky, like, like snake, snake dragon. dragon things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, what else do we know? <laughs> defending against uh, the tales about the basilisk being petrified by its own appearance in a mirror exist, but it can be slayed by other various methods. This is the whole it Medusa also- similarity, right? <laughs> Serpent mm-hmm. on the head, mirror kills Medusa, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is also vulnerable to the uh, cock crow of a rooster. Uh, this belief led to travelers carrying roosters for self-protection. Cool. Although roosters never actually had the power to kill the basilisk. Oh, I, because I it, the real basilisks weren't hurt by the crows of roosters. Or maybe the real basilisks didn't exist, so they can't maybe. be affected by roosters. <laughs> maybe that's the case. Yeah, maybe. It can also be stopped by the odor of a weasel. Okay, so weasels hunt snakes. So mm-hmm. this has some merit. The odor yeah. part weird, but okay. Yeah, I think uh, this is like a throwback to me, like very young Toasty. But one of my favorite like books whenever I was younger was uh, the Tale of Ricky Tikki Tavi. Mm-hmm. It was like I think he's a mongoose. He's a mongoose, uh, but yeah, same kind uh, of same kind of creature. It's, it's, it's yeah. a it's also it, it's another form of mustelid. So, um, <clears throat> but uh, the villagers threw it in the pit, recognized by the dying vegetation nearby of the basilisk, in hope to get rid of the beast. Yeah, because so it attacks. Toss a weasel. The- in vegetation. there yeah okay weird okay so where else in literature does this show up okay so this is kind of where we get to this thing here um there of course obviously uh this doesn't uh, this is kind of just way of mythology of like it doesn't give us i need to look up this this person um but uh its first iteration uh is from Pliny or Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Elder. Yeah, I believe he's Roman. He's a Roman historian. Okay, then it has Roman origins. Uh, gave history its first glimpse of the fearsome basilisk in his groundbreaking text, Natural History, which was published in 79 CE. He wrote, It routes all snakes with its hiss and does not move its body forward in manifold manifold coils like the other snakes, but advancing with its middle raised high. Weird. It kills bushes, not only by its touch, but also by its breath, uh-huh. scorches up grass, and bursts rocks. Its effects on other animals is disastrous. This is amazing because this so much of what we understand about actual human history also comes from historians like Pliny the Elder. And the fact that Pliny the Elder would be telling this kind of story next to a story of like, and this is how Caesar rose to power really starts to make you wonder, like, is that really the the way those events played out? Because now he's talking about some weird snake creature that breaks rocks with its breath. Yeah. I'm imagining that, uh, the homie Pliny saw, uh, like a King cobra. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, he saw, he saw early, some weird animal doing some large weird thing. King, King cobra because, and then he heard I mean, some stories that somebody told and then he just repeated the stories. Yeah. 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 Cause I think that that is how, like generally if it's threatened, I believe that's how like a King cobra and some other like 
cobra snakes or whatever like defended rather than like slithering towards something they like raise up yeah. and like and i know they kind of you know king cobras specifically with the whole like flexing their flaps headfolds whatever those Folds? are called wings yeah we'll call uh, them wings yeah. um but yeah and in like going with like their middle forward specifically because you know they're trying to threaten you look bigger right. um right. And so he's probably like oh my god and then just turned it he, he dandelioned it you know yeah. it was like he's like i had this really scary encounter but no one's going to care about it unless i make it so much scary right right so uh the scholars of the natural world continued to expand upon the basilisk story over time Bede described the birth of the basilisk and alexander necom and albertus magnus wrote about its foul stench and deadly gaze leonardo da vinci described a white diadem like marking on its head in his bestiary in so the 14th weird. century the greek word basilisk was translated into the french word cockatrice so there's a the direct connection there even just mm -hmm. in the, the lineage of the words yep uh, the new name was popularized when it began appearing in bibles to describe certain serpentine monsters who had spirits of pure evil yeah, it's, that, it's that sorry to jump in again it's that whole backwards understanding of things like we have a creature from this other cultural background that is now pulled into a biblical context because the majority of these people are now Christian. And so now they're re looking at that through the lens of the culture that came before them. And so now they're reinterpreting what's in the, so that's why you get basilisk in the Bible. So mm -hmm. it's, it wasn't originally the word that was used for that, but okay. Yeah, it's close enough. So we'll just call it that. If that's must, that must be what it was back then in the Bible days. Yeah. Uh, gradually, the basilisk moved out of the realm of scientific study and into the realm of folklore, which is hilarious that it was ever there in the first place, mm -hmm. uh, where it appeared in Geoffrey Chaucer's Chaucer, Chaucer, yeah. Canterbury Tales. Finally, the great monster became the stuff of poetry, where its name alone was used by Shakespeare, Voltaire, and Bram Stoker to express deadly loathing. Makes sense. The way that that, that stuff can evolve. Um yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird to think that even like Leonardo da Vinci considered this to be a real creature of some sort. Now, like you're saying, my guess is that it's just different people referring to different kind of snakes over time with a little mm -hmm. understanding and, and we're too afraid to get close to them or actually study them. So it just turns into, well, there's a snake with this thing and it kind of does this thing, but then also all this other crazy other stuff. Yeah, I mean, we, I think like wasn't like da Vinci kind of into like you know crazy sciences and stuff too so like yeah stuff like that that's kind of what they did at that that time zone right so yep <laughs> yep all right well that's that's the basilisk that's man these are always so fun to get into the background how weird everything is it's not the weirdest one but it's definitely got a it's got some weird qualities mm-hmm so all right the listeners thank you for tuning in thanks for being here we're gonna wrap this episode up we will be ne back next week with uh our patrons that's on the 30th so if you'd like to join us for the patron episode then sign on up or upgrade on the patreon and come come talk with us about did, witcher stuff but did we do the date differently did we do so uh the 28th oh i'm sorry the live show i'm sorry 28th <laughs> you're right i'm looking i'm looking a few weeks ahead on my calendar yeah because we're recording this on a wednesday because we're doing it ahead of time so you're right yep. it would be the 28th not the 30th the 28th monday the 28th 
uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific is when we'll do our, our patron episode. So Steve will be back from his adventures on the path. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so uh, come join us for that. Toasty, you got other stuff going on? Um, as always, follow us the Witcher Lorecast on Twitter uh, and go check out the uh, Cyberpunk Lorecast if you're a fan of that or the uh, actual play Cyberpunk Red podcast Cyberpunk Cyberpunk apostrophe D that I do with the Fumbling Four and Almighty Crit group. Awesome. And links for that and all of my shows, all the other stuff going on on the network as a whole, all at robotsradio.net. So go check that out. Join us for lots of fun stuff. Join us on the Discord. Let's chat about Witcher stuff. And uh, until next time, everybody. Stay safe on the path. All right. We'll see you. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to the Witcher Lorecast. We'd love to hear about your experiences with the games and the books and the TV series and all your thoughts on everything. Please check out the Robots Radio Discord and follow us on Twitter at Witcher Lorecast. You've been listening to the Robots Radio Podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.